This is Think Sustainability. Today, part one of a two-part series exploring how technology can connect us with nature. And this episode starts with an email exchange between producer Shane Anderson and an elm tree that lives in a little park off a side street in Melbourne City. Hi Elm, I've never emailed a tree before. However, when I stumbled upon this project, I was reminded of a recent trip I took to Melbourne. I was waiting in a park for a lift to arrive, eating bagels and admiring you, Elm. You had a couple of birds ducking in and out of your branches. You had no leaves, it was winter, but you still had a kind of imposing beauty. I'd like to know more about you. Sincerely yours, Shane. And a couple of days later, the tree replied. Hello, Shane. Wow, I feel so special. Smiley face. Of all the trees in the city, you chose me. What a lovely memory you have with me. I'm very lucky to live in such a beautiful park. I have many hollows with possums, birds and microbats popping in and out of my branches. I'm just starting to get back my beautiful leaves for the summer, providing some shade for my park. People often sit under me and read books in the glorious spring sunshine. I have about 20 years plus life left in me, which is good for my age. I also love Carlton, smiley face. Your friend, the elm. Tree ID 1021549. This is part of a project called the Urban Forest Visual by the Melbourne City Council. It's easy to say that being glued to our screens is taking us away from the environment, but projects like the Urban Forest Visual show us that things aren't always so straightforward. This is the first half of a two-part series exploring the complex relationship between technology and the environment. We've been using technology to shape the world around us since the early humans first discovered fire. In more modern times, we tend to think of nature and culture as kind of a divide. There's the culture that we're in, the human world of our friendships, our jobs and our day-to-day lives. And then there's nature, our external environment, the stuff out there, what you see when you look out your window. But things haven't always been this way. We're seeing that this idea of the environment as something which we're disconnected from fundamentally is something that is simply, you know, it's quite wrong empirically, but it's a cultural thing which is changing slowly. We're going to take a closer look at the ethics, philosophy and economics of human-environment relations in the digital age. We're going to explore the ways technology is helping bring us closer to and form personal connections with nature. But at the same time, it's changing our very ideas of what nature is, in good and not-so-good ways. tree program didn't initially set out to make pen pals with the wider community. It's part of a bigger urban forest strategy, a huge project that maps every tree in Melbourne, that's nearly 77,000, and compiles it on a website where you can track them down, see what species they are, how old they are and how long they have left. I think it's 
the the most studied set of trees anywhere in the world. This is Councillor Cathy Oak from the City of Melbourne, who was actually one of the researchers on the project before she became a councillor. She says the urban forest visual came about as the city was recovering from the brutal millennium drought. It made us think about the role of water and, and how we manage our trees. The council began to collect data on every single tree, and you can find these online superimposed onto a map of the city. Each is marked with a specific ID. Where did the idea for the email function come from? <laughs> well, in terms of this data that we had, so every single tree is logged and each tree's assigned a unique ID. And because the community was wanting to understand more about this information that we're collecting, every tree ID was then assigned a, an individual email address. At the beginning, the email addresses served as an administrative function. You know, if a limb was falling off or that the tree looked like it needed a drink or had been vandalised. But that's not how people started using it. It's turned into this email a tree project and, and obviously it's morphed into something more than just a straight data collection activity. The council started to receive love letters, emails sharing personal memories they'd had with specific trees and engaging with them in unique and creative ways. I love the ones where people have actually sat and looked at a tree and then taken the time to draw a a picture of that scene and and send it to the trees. Four years into the project and they've received about 4,500 emails. Cathy says a lot of these were actually from people who were expressing sadness for a tree that didn't have much longer left. People are quite emotional when they, when they know that the tree is, you know, at the end of its life or might be needing to be removed for some reason. You know, the emotional outpouring of grief for trees is, you know, it's, it's sweet and yet obviously it's sad. Hi, Elm. It's so nice to hear from you. I'm kind of sad to hear that you only have about 20 years left. I'd always thought that trees live longer than the people who admire them. I bet you've seen Carlton like no one else has. Sincerely yours, Shane. Hi, Shane. Yes, it is. But you never know how long you really have left. It could be one year or it could be 40. Luckily, my neighbours love me, so hopefully they will help me hang on to this beautiful life. I have definitely seen a lot of changes, both good and bad. I'm not so sure, but I aim to live life to the fullest, appreciate all the animals around me and the coming and going of seasons, and continue being tremendous. Thanks, Elm, Tree ID 102-1549. I wanted to know what projects like the Urban Forest Visual say about the way we use technology to relate to our environment and whether or not emailing a tree is actually bringing us closer to nature. So I spoke to Jeremy Walker, a lecturer in Environment, Culture and Society at the University of Technology, Sydney. I started by asking him what he thought of the Email a Tree program. I like it. It's like where I live, they just chop trees down without telling you and don't ask you um, and replace them with concrete. So I, I think it's a really nice program. I wish they would adopt it where I live. Melbourne's better than Sydney. It always comes back to that. <laughs> yeah. But, but I think that there is a the desire to, I don't know, to feel connected to the world, um, to the living world. If we look at the longer history and through you know all the different anthropological diversity of human cultures is actually fairly... Um, probably more common than the kind of philosophy of disconnection that that we have 
um, lived through for the last couple of centuries. When we're talking about the environment, we're not just talking about a national park. No, and certainly that idea that the environment is the bits of nature that we've decided not to destroy in national parks is a kind of common one, but, yeah, the environment's a lot more than that. I mean, if we look around where we are now, my environment is, you know, almost completely artificial in the sense that it's all manufactured. You know, it's infrastructure, it's conduits, it's pipes, it's electricity, it's glass, it's locks, it's carpet. You know, so all of those things are, when we say you know, that's our environment, immediately our life support system. And then there's another environment of that environment, which is the earth has the background life support system. Our environment isn't just the oceans and the trees. It's the interconnected ecosystems that we live in. And that includes things that are man-made and things that are natural. They both make up our environment on different scales. But rather than think of ourselves as part of this ecosystem, we think of ourselves as outside of it. Jeremy explains. I teach you know, environmental studies and the first thing I always say is that the very idea of the environment as something which is distinct from us is a side effect of the distancing of that technology. More in the last 500 years really since the way that we have kind of separated nature out from society and the way we even think about it as something which is external to us. And when our environment is external to us, it becomes a thing that we need to connect to. This way of thinking about the environment is a particularly modern and Western approach to the world around us. And we can credit technology for its contribution to this. Thanks to all the incredible inventions we've developed roughly since the Industrial Revolution, all of which we use to control and change our environment into things that serve our purposes, things like cities and smartphones. But this way of thinking comes at the cost of the bigger context. Jeremy says we only have to look at the example of the smartphone to see this disconnection in action. I suppose not many people would think about the fact that every time they charge their phone, you know, 90% of that energy is coming from combustion of coal if you're living in New South Wales at the moment. Yeah, if we look at Australia-specific Is there a way that you would use generally to describe how we relate to our environment? Is there a particularly Australian way that this happens? Again, it's far too complex because we relate to the environment in so many different ways through, you know, through our everyday consumption. So if you're taking the example again of your mobile phone, you're, you know, it has rare earth minerals from that are mined, you know, under extremely bad conditions, possibly slavery and just driving warfare in, um, in the Congo, for example. So the, the you know the iPhone is a global um, environmental relationship. It's very material, but also social in the sense that you know it drives uh, the conditions of life in factories in in China and waste that's disposed internationally and shipped. You know, electronic waste gets there's a whole e trade in e waste. So just taking you know even one commodity out of the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of commodities that we purchase or consume. All of those things are really global relationships. Yeah, and in terms of like modern technology, like the mobile phone, as you said, that piece of technology, when we hold it in our hand, mm. we're removed from those processes, like the rare earth minerals and the political context of the countries that we import them from. That, mm. That is all, I guess, an alienation from the environment. Also from society, I mean, in, in the sense that, I mean, this is a very old insight that goes back to Karl Marx's critique of commodities. In the mid-1800s, Karl Marx wrote a theory of political economy called Capital. In it, he writes that commodities were an object or a good or a service that can be bought or sold. Our society is market-based, which means that the wheels of our society keep turning because of the constant exchange of these commodities. 
and our treatment of the environment became shoehorned into this same cycle of production and consumption. The cultural conditions of living in a world where we buy and sell commodities makes the conditions in which they're produced, both the social and environmental conditions, invisible. We don't see them and we don't think about them. We just see something shiny on the shelf that we want and we buy it. And what role does technology play in this? Jeremy says technology is ubiquitous. The story about technology is very inherent to what it means to be human. Human beings have transformed, literally transformed and and cooked the earth um, for a very long time to transform it into things that they want. The technologies we've invented have made our economic system possible. And that covers everything from the ships we use to transport coffee beans and sugar and tobacco, right down to the everyday little things we don't think about, like our phones, computers and watches. Even though the evolution of technology is bundled in with the alienation between us and the environment, this isn't the only way that things have to be. Tech can also empower us. It can create pockets, small cracks through which nature can grow through. Projects like the Email a Tree program do have the potential to influence the way we relate to our environment. Technology has enabled us to connect with the outdoors in a way that we hadn't thought possible. Cathy says despite the novelty of emailing a tree, the focus of the program was always about the real thing. They wanted people to be inspired to actually get out into nature. And yes, it's been great to use technology to, you know, engage with people on something that is really a project that's outside. You know, we're wanting people to engage with actual trees and we're wanting people to to get all the benefits of cooling and shading and the well-being health benefits of nature in the city. But for Cathy, the Email a Tree program did change the way she viewed the environment. In our forest team, you know, the data, it was all important to get the data and display the data. It was actually a process of connecting with artists in our community who really responded. Certainly, it's changed my approach to community engagement and understanding how to tell the story of climate change. And technology has enabled us to connect with the outdoors in a way that we had thought possible. Now, we can use technology to bring us closer to the environment, but at the end of the day, is this enough to save it? In the second half of our series on the relationship between technology and the environment, we're going to take a virtual reality dive into the Great Barrier Reef and look at whether secondhand experiences of nature are helping or harming climate change. In the meantime, if you're feeling inspired to communicate with a tree, then there's a link to the Urban Forest Visual up on our website. I'm going to leave you now with some more of the emails that people sent into the trees as read out by some of the producers here at 2SER. Enjoy. Willow Leaf Peppermint, tree ID 1357982. Hello, Mr. Willow Leaf Peppermint, or should I say... Hello, Mr. Willow Leaf Peppermint, or should I say Mrs. Willow? <laughs> Sorry. It's so cute. I love it. Okay, okay. Hello, Mr. Willow Leaf Peppermint, or should I say Mrs. Willow Leaf Peppermint? Do trees have genders? I hope you've had some nice sun today. Western Red Cedar, tree ID 105-8295. Hi, tree. Are you worried about being affected by the Greek debt crisis? Should Greece be allowed to stay in the European Union? Regards, Troy. To Golden Elm, 
tree ID 1037148. I'm sorry you're gonna die soon. It makes me sad when trucks damage your low-hanging branches. Are you as tired of all this construction work as we are? Algerian Oak, tree ID 1032705. Dear Algerian Oak, thank you for giving us oxygen. Thank you for being so pretty. I don't know where I'd be without you to extract my carbon dioxide. Stay strong. Stand tall amongst the crowd. You are the gift that keeps on giving. Shane Anderson with that story. This show originally aired on one of our partner programs, Think Digital Futures. You can subscribe to both Think Digital Futures and Think Sustainability on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Think Sustainability is made possible with the support of 2SER, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia via the Community Radio Network. Next week, part two. Can virtual environments help us save the real one? I'm Jake Malcolm.